This podcast is brought to you by Workle, a platform helping people get happier at work. Find out more at workle.co. Work happier. What went on in, in my day was pretty um, toe-curling, really. As soon as I got pregnant, I realised there was no place really to, in those days, be a working mother. It was a pretty simple idea. It sort of became a labour of love. I didn't really earn a salary for five years, but it felt very purposeful. Welcome to the Happy Work Life podcast, where people with inspiring careers reflect on how happy they have been in their working lives. On this podcast, we hear from a range of people working in business, startups, science, academia, media, healthcare, fashion, and much more, and find out which roles gave them the most satisfaction and importantly, what they have done to get happier at work. So sit down with me, Mark Price, founder of Workle, to help you get happier at work. Workle is the platform where you can find a job in the happiest companies, take our happiness test, network, and get career support from experts and much, much more. I'm really delighted to say that on this edition of the Happy Work Life podcast, we'll be talking to Justine Roberts. Now, Justine really does need very little introduction. She is the founder and CEO of Mumsnet and Brandsnet. She founded Mumsnet in 2000 after she graduated from Oxford with a degree in PPE. We'll find out about that and what inspired her to launch the platform. Justine, welcome to the podcast. It's so lovely to um, to have you with us today. Um, I just want to start, if I may, by asking about your early years, your school years. Um, we all know that you built Mumsnet and it's an amazing digital channel, but tell me at school, what were you interested in? Well, I was mainly interested in sport. I was very sporty and I played, you know, in, in all the teams and played every day and was very keen actually for my school which was a girls school to play football but they were resolutely against uh, starting a football team but I managed to play every lunchtime nonetheless I managed to cabal um, my peers into into indulging me in a game of football every lunchtime so that was the way I um, was, did that and then I actually joined a, a ladies football team at the age of 13 so um, no I, I enjoyed school I enjoyed having, you know, free sports matches and, and games on tap. Um, so that was my that was what I spent my time and my weekends doing, really. And are there any clues in the fact you love sport to what you went on to do? Most people who know me would say I am quite competitive. Uh, I do like I like watching sport. I like playing sport. I like um, winning. But I don't know really. I think. Um, are there any clues? I mean, obviously, mostly I was playing team sports, so there was some, I suppose, early groundings in, in you know, how how teams win, um, how you you know you have to harness all the all the parts and make them work together and try and be the better better than the, you know, the sum of the parts. So maybe, but I would I haven't really gone into that in any detail. I was, I was impressed to learn that you're still playing football. Yeah, I'm still playing football. Mum, Mum's that still has a sort of five-a-side, uh, fortnightly five-a-side, which I creak around in now, um, trying not to get injured most of the time. 
And, and on the academic side, what was it there that most appealed to you? Yeah, I was quite interested in politics and, and economics from an early age. So that how the world kind of worked, um, I was very interested in. So um, I was kind of an all-rounder and not particularly amazing at anything. Um, so, yeah, I was I was um, I, I probably didn't work as hard as I should, but um, but I was quite good at exams. So that was quite helpful. And what about your parents? Did they do anything that sort of inspired the entrepreneurial spark in you? Well, my mum my mom was always a working mum, which in those days was less usual. And I was always tremendously proud of the fact that she had sort of an exterior life away from the home. Um, so, so I think that probably, I mean, they were both, they both had a tremendous worth of ethic, my mum and dad. Um, so they, you know, I, I guess they um, in some way role modelled that to me. But yeah, no, what my mum was sort of more in teaching and my dad was more in sales. So there wasn't anything specific, but they definitely worked hard and grafted all their lives. And sort of my mum's story is one of wrenching herself out of the working classes to integrate herself into the middle classes. So I went, I was sort of in that journey with her and she was always working hard and striving, taking degrees at night and things like that. So uh, impressive. Yeah, it's, it is impressive. And if you were to describe your younger self, how would you describe yourself? I think I was um, I, I was an optimist. I was sort of always saw the bright side of things. So my parents tell me I'm, I mean I was I'm the youngest, and they say I was a very easy child. I don't know what that means, but I think it probably was because I had quite an optimistic life view, um, and saw you know each day was a new day kind of thing. I didn't dwell on things too much. And do you think that's helped in your business life? Uh, definitely. Uh, I do think it helps uh, when you start a business to be optimistic, for sure. Um, I think you've got to, you know, you've got to be, you've got to have a certain amount of resilience, which is, it's, so it's helpful if you, if you do believe that each day is a new day and you can start again and make the best of it, yeah. And um, you said that you were sort of not particularly good at anything, but a generalist, but um, you went to Oxford to study PPE, which is regarded as quite something. So um, how did your parents feel about that? And, and tell us a little about your time at Oxford. Um, yeah, my, my parents were very pleased. Neither of them had been to university, so they were obviously um, very um, excited by the idea. My sister was kind of the first person in our family to go to university, so um, it was it was a, they, they had no real input because they didn't really know anything about it. So, and I did PPE because I was interested really in, and it, you know, people often say the only thing PPE teaches you is how to read a newspaper properly. Um, and it, it, it did do that. Then I enjoyed that. And I enjoyed the arguments that by, by its nature, it's quite a sort of, dialectic course and there are lots of arguments and, and points of view and discussions and so I enjoyed it um I didn't work very hard again I played an awful lot of sport um and I spent quite a long, lot of time in the college bar so i looking back I think I probably should have had a gap year and grown up a bit before I went to university 
I didn't quite get as much out of the course as I should have, but but I had a, a fun time, very much a fun time. And out of the politics, philosophy and economics, which do you prefer most? Which do you take greatest interest in? Uh, well, I, <laughs> my friends at uni sort of joke that I actually did PE, um, which is probably more the sport bit, but uh, but it, it, it was the politics and economics. No, philosophy I found quite irritating. Um, I, you know, there was too much talk, talk of, you know, are we really here? And I sort of wanted to get on and say, yes, well, of course we are. Now let's try and solve something. Um, so I found philosophical discussion quite frustrating and I gave that up as soon as I could. So you, you described to me somebody that sounds as though they're fun-loving, likes company, is pretty driven and determined and is resilient and optimistic. Would you say that's a good description of yourself? Yeah, although I wouldn't, I mean, I would not say I was a massive extrovert. I mean, I've taken all the Myers-Briggs tests and I, I fall squarely in the middle. So I think I, I do enjoy socialising company and being out there, but it does drain me and, and I need time off. So I think I'm, I'm in the middle of that of that spectrum. So I wouldn't say I was the most gregarious person, nor the least um, so I can see both sides of that coin, I think. So I want to come on to what led you to think of setting up Mumsnet and how you did it. But of course, there's quite a few years between you leaving university and that happened. Yes. So, so talk us through those, those years at the end of university. So you're finishing your degree. What were you thinking about doing and how did that pan out? Well, I, I wasn't really, I wasn't sort of vocational about stuff, so I didn't really know, but I had done some work experience in my s second year in the city of London, and I'd, I'd actually ended up on the stock exchange floor. And I actually found that quite, um, I guess, fun, really. It, it was bizarre because there were about a thousand men and I was one of two women. Um, and maybe it was my competitive instincts, but I, I sort of rather enjoyed the the kind of daily excitement, pressure of, of I was actually making prices in, in stock market shares. So uh, doing all that thing where, you know, buy those, sell those uh, kind of thing. For want of anything really better to do, I thought I'll go and do that. So I joined, I did the milk round and joined SG Warburg. Um, and was a trader for a couple of years before I decided that it perhaps wasn't an environment that I wanted to stick around in forever. And then I, I, I moved over to become an economist and a market strategist at Warburg's. And then really spent the, the, the first 10 years of my working life trying all kinds of different things in investment banking. So um, you know, I, I went to New York and set up the South Africa office and all kinds of things. Um, but what I realized after 10 years was it, was, it was, wasn't so much the job, it was the culture that I wasn't comfortable in. Um, and as soon as I got pregnant, I, I realized there was no place really to, in those days, to um, kind of be a working mother. Um, so I, I resigned actually as I got pregnant, when I got pregnant. Tell us about the culture, because obviously, as you just said, you didn't warm to it. If you can sort of set out whether you think things might have changed since then. I'm sure they have progressed a bit because, you know, the, the, what went on in, in my day uh, was pretty um, 
yeah, pretty um, toe-curling, really. I mean, for everything from, obviously, you know, won't surprise you to hear sexism. I used to walk along the trading floor and the traders would drop things on the floor in front of me as I walked so they could bend down and look up my skirt. Um, I mean, but there was also, you know, racism, uh, homophobia. Um, it, it was all there and anyone who was a minority was picked on. Um, so it was... Um, uh, it was it was not a it was not a but more than that I think those were kind of obvious things that you kind of slightly lived a bit more with in those days but it was also a very individualistic culture so very people were very political very sharp elbowed it was all about my bonus um, and I, I didn't see a lot of teamwork I suspect it's better now I suspect it's still not um, the most collaborative environment ever um because a lot of people are, are there you know if for one reason only and that is for economic gain they're not really there to for a greater purpose so um but i would very much hope for all the women especially working in that environment that it's uh, improved from my day what kind of person do you think would suit a career in investment banking banking I think it's for people who um, very much want individual goals. You know, you clearly have to be very driven. You have to work very hard. Um, but I think you've got to be tough and you've you probably not, you, you know, you probably doesn't, you don't win a lot of ground by being um, collaborative and, and uh, apolitical. So, so very much actually when I started Bombsday, it was in reaction to that culture. I wanted to build a culture where people could, you know, admit they had a family, for instance, and put their kids first. And, and just reflecting for one more second on, on your, your time in investment banking, when did you realise it wasn't right for you? Was it at the end of 10 years or was it a gradual process? Well, I think the reason why I sort of hopped from different job to different job within investment was was a kind of search for a slightly different culture um so I think I knew and I don't think I was that happy I found it very varied and very intellectually challenging but I don't think I was you know uh I didn't feel these were my people and I didn't feel um comfortable and actually well looking back you know I made one or two friends so good friends but that's it for 10 years. It's not a huge amount of friends to come out of that working environment. And changing to another organisation, say going to JP Morgan, you don't think that would have made a difference. It was more the job and what the job entailed than the culture of an organisation. Well, I, I, I experienced through it because there were various sort of takeovers of the organisations I worked for. So I experienced three different ones and they were different. And some had, you know, I've painted quite a grim picture. There were definite strengths. Um, you know, there's there's a whole sort of the first um, bank I worked at, S.G. Warburg, was a very old fashioned investment bank. And and they had very um, strong notions of honour and doing the right thing, um, which you wouldn't necessarily associate with investment banking today. And I'm, I'm, I'm not sure was shared by some of the other institutions I've worked at. Um, so, there, you know, I, it wasn't all bad and I learned a lot. But I just, um, I think it, it was partly that it was absolutely, you know, almost 98% white male dominated, that by definition, it's quite hard for women 
not to be treated as other when when there are so few of us about. Okay, so we've got now, I think, a, a bit of an understanding about you as a person and your early steps in work. And you mentioned um, purpose and the importance of purpose. So Eureka, uh, you're pregnant and go on to set up, uh, set up Mumsnet. So talk us through that. How did you have the idea? Where did you get the funding? How did you build the team? How did it all happen? So this was back in 1999. And if you remember, if you cast your mind back, it was like a, there was an internet gold rush going on. Everyone and anyone was thinking about what their startup idea might be. Um, so, uh, you know, it wasn't that unusual to sort of think, oh, well, I, I'd quite like to do a startup. I mean, it was kind of you couldn't you couldn't walk down the street with someone telling you what their idea was. Um, in my case, I'd uh, gone on my first family holiday with my nearly one-year-old twins. And we and it was a terrible choice of holiday. Uh, it was meant to be family friendly, but it turned out to be, you know, the wrong, the wrong resort, the wrong destination, the wrong time zone, frankly, the wrong children. Um, and uh, it was just an unmitigated disaster. And it was just sitting around the pool thinking, well, what if we'd known before we, you know, this was too important to muck up like this. It would have been so good to have tapped into people who'd been there and done that. And from there I got to, but of course it's not just holidays, is it? It's everything about parenting and being a parent that we are not at all trained for, but it's possibly the most important thing we do in our lives. Um, and, and the internet had just started and there was this, uh, you know, it seemed like the obvious way to tap into the the wise, the wisdom of the crowd um, of people who'd been there and done that. So it was a pretty simple idea that um, I happened to be in a position to be able to sort of follow through, but partly because I'd worked for 10 years in the city. So I, you know, I felt that I could, you know, take a bit of a gamble because I'd made some money. Um, and um, and and partly because actually I had a friend who could code, uh, so I, I went back um, to London and and said, "Can you build this thing?" And he said, he, "You know, he never actually resigned from his job. He did it in weekends and evenings, but he did build me a website, which was helpful." And so you touched on the the two probably most important things you need when you start: a a team, and b the money. So just talk us a bit more through team. So. Who, who did it start with? Obviously you, and you said a friend. Um, yeah. How did you build the team out? And how did you think about that? And then talk to us a little about the, the money and how you thought and managed that. The two are related. So first of all, I, I knew I didn't want to do it on my own. So I wrote in a friend from antenatal class um, to be a co-founder. And then we had my other friend who, um, who could code. Um, so there were the three of us. And that it was only the three of us for quite some time because we failed to raise any money. So almost immediately on our journey, six months in really to, to the launch or when when first started thinking about launching Mumstead, the dot-com bubble burst and all the investment money went away. So I had this, you know, uh, rather voluminous business plan um, and, and got quite close at one point within that six months to raising four and a half million pounds. 
Um, and the guy who wanted to give me the money said, there's only one problem and that's, I don't want you to run it. I want my colleague here, he's a 25 year old man, but childless man to run Mumsdet. So I actually turned down that money and said, I'm not really thinking that I'm gonna sort of be demoted before I start. And uh, I'm sure there'll be other money around. And of course, at that point, the crash happened, there was no other money. And it turned out to be very good for us because actually the business plan I'd written wasn't worth the paper it was written on. I mean, I think just about a couple of years ago, 20 years into Mumsnet's journey, we made the revenue from e-commerce that I'd predicted in year two in my business plan when I started out. Uh, and the truth was um, we needed to get to scale before there was any business. And you couldn't do that with a high cost model because you would have just, you know, leveraged money um, and I have no doubt if I'd raised that four and a half million pounds, we would have had a fancy office in Clerkenwell, loads of employees, uh, and, and pretty soon would have burnt through that money. And I suspect Monsnet would have been no more. So, uh, you know, the probably the third element that you haven't mentioned is luck. And uh, we were pretty lucky that actually we did fail to raise any money in the beginning. And it meant that we had six years where everyone sort of went very quiet on the internet generally and um and its prospects where we could you know from the back bedroom set about building a community so over 20 years now you've been building a business yeah so talk us through the the highs and lows of that because there must have been times that you were very frustrated and there must have been times when um uh, your heart was singing so talk, just talk us through how you thought about that and what happened. Well, and the initial period was very hard because, as you know, it was quite hard to work out how we were ever going to turn this into a business. But it was very heartening because people began to use Mumsdet and they began to get real utility out of it. So, so the early days of Mumsdet was characterised by me kind of talking to myself with multiple nicknames on the forums, <laughs> answering the many questions I had about my my um, my young children, um, and then gradually um, it sort of it became noticed. And by word of mouth only, we never spent any money on advertising or marketing, so we didn't have any money. Um, it began to gain momentum, and very swiftly, you know, people were actually you know writing to me saying, "This has saved my life." You know, to be able to talk to other people in my situation, whatever it was, you know, whether it was their child wouldn't sleep or um, their mother was, you know, desperately ill or all the things that mum said is really useful for um, for advice and support um, was was fairly quickly manifest, even though obviously the site was smaller. So it, whilst it was sort of it, it sort of became a labour of love. Um, and I didn't really um, earn a salary for five years, but it felt very purposeful. Um, and I suppose I had faith that ultimately it would work because it was so useful, it was so obviously useful to people. And it was growing fast, you know, uh, if not in revenue terms, then in user number terms. So that even though that felt like a, it could have been a low, it actually wasn't, it was fine. Um, and I think then we, when we sort of came to national prominence 
one of the first things that caused that was actually quite a difficult time. We were sued by a childcare guru who, th who threatened our ISP and, and tried to get us taken down um, because users had made um, some less than complimentary remarks about her methods. Um, and she was quite a polarizing figure. So that actually became a two year legal battle, which was really very draining. Um, the lots of lawyers letters, lots of um, trying to stop our users actually talking about this woman on our forums. Um, but it also we, you know, it became a bit of a cause celebre for for um, libel laws on the internet. And in those days when we started, mums that was treated just like a newspaper would, everything that was written on it, we were deemed to have published, as opposed to a platform where other people are choosing what they write. So we worked quite hard actually to get that law changed and the Defamation Act came in a few years later. But meantime, we had this rather grueling, draining and expensive uh, legal battle to fight. Um, so that was, again, a slightly double-edged thing. I mean, it obviously gave us a lot of publicity. We led, we led, we were leading the news on Channel 4 um, as a story and lots of, got lots of users to the site, but it, I was be becoming very, very dull because it was all I could think about and talk about. Uh, and I'm boring everyone to death about my stories about this court case. So I was very glad it settled. Um, I think, you know, in, as far as the real lows, the most difficult times have been when we've been hacked. We've been hacked quite a lot. I personally have been swatted, which means they, um, a threat has been sent to the police saying that someone's, uh, there's an armed gunman in my house and a SWAT team arrived with guns and dogs. We've been, we've had bomb threats at Mumsnet HQ. It's amazing how much anger and vitriol Mumsnet has created and my contention is it's because it's a space dominated by women on the internet which is very very rare so those are the, obviously some difficult moments there I'm trying to think uh, you know there were <laughs> there was the time when our servers broke um, because of a thread that went super viral all around the world and uh, we um, we didn't have the processing power to cope and we're kind of up and down and offline for two for two weeks, which was quite tough. Um, it was a rather infamous thread that caught the imagination of the world <laughs> that I perhaps won't go into here unless you really want me to. But it's uh, um, yeah. So that that was, but you know, it's amazing how very often the things which are kind of your successes are also the hardest to deal with because of capacity issues or um, or resource issues generally. And, and what about the highs? Um, well, the, I guess um, we started to gain the sort of ear of politicians um, around about, well, I think 2006, David Cameron made it his first thing he did when he, when he became leader of the Tory party and came back from paternity leave, he did a web chat on, on Mum's Day. And since then, it's kind of been a rite of passage for politicians to come and talk to Mum's Day users. I think the, the 2010 election was christened uh, the Mumsnet election. And that was, I mean, it was, a, it was a very busy and interesting time. We had, you know, the prime minister on twice, all the leaders of, of the opposition on. Everyone wanted to come on Mumsnet and put their piece across. And uh, I think it was, you know, that was nice because it was good that our audience was being listened to uh, 
I think, you know, it put women very much at the forefront. And, and from that day, we sort of decided, well, you know, we've got the ear of politicians. We've never set out to be a campaigning organisation, but we probably should use this ear now. So from that day, we have um, campaigned on multiple issues that our users care about. It always comes from them. We've um, made quite a lot of changes to the way miscarriages, people who miscarriage are cared for, um, we've had a campaign where we challenged retailers not to sell hypersexualized clothing to young girls called Let Girls Be Girls. We're currently getting big companies to publish their parental leave policies, which bizarrely very few of them do, which makes it quite hard for women in an interview when they all, and, and actually prospective parents generally, men as well, because um, you can't really ask an interview what your maternity policy is without being discriminated against. So there are just uh, loads of things which we've been involved in and still are involved in. And, th and that's the highs when you can actually achieve meaningful change um, for, you know, your, 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 your crowd, your group and give a voice, a collective voice to them that makes a difference. So um, we're pleased with, we're, they're, they're the things that make uh, other highs and I also think just the general support you see on Mumsnet when you see users you know going out of their way to give complete strangers advice you know at two and three in the morning that is you know infinitely helpful. And and what gives you your energy today so you've been building it for more than 20 years what, what keeps you going? I, I think um there's so many challenges in running a business that it's, you know, and, and there's so much change that what keeps me going is, is trying to keep up, really. Um, you know, we've just we've just launched something called Mums GPT, which is using, you know, GPT-4 to analyse the discussions on our website to hopefully inform particularly brands about product choices and to inform and to inform the world about what women mums want. I mean, it's exciting. This is really exciting stuff. We're using AI in our moderation. Um, so there's so much learning to do um, that I think it doesn't feel like you're doing the same thing that you were doing even last year, to be frank. And then there's, you know, the learning as a, a, a leader, you know, frankly, most founders, and I was definitely one of them, are, are not very good at uh, running bigger companies um, because they, by definition, are the sort of people who want to get involved in anything and can get involved in anything, and that's how they manage to launch the business. They, the, but then you know they they tend to be a bit control freaky, freaky, and I was definitely like that, and I sort of had to go back to school and and relearn and and make a decision like can i change myself can i get better at this because otherwise we you know we're never going to grow and we're never going to have a, a good culture you, you know i can you know, yes we can be flexible and allow people flexibility but are they really happy are they really being developed and are they really growing and it was those kind of challenges and which still because we have so much still to do um, that get that you know wake me up in the morning and get me at my desk. And two questions, if I may, to to finish, uh, both about advice that you give others. The first is, what advice would you give to your younger self if you were able to now? Um, I mean, I suppose general advice 
to any young person, <laughs> to my daughters, I think of it. And it's it's just don't really worry too much what people think of you. Um, I think they're especially in a social media world where we're all terrified of, you know, um, saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, you know, self-conscious about everything we do. Be a bit less self-conscious and just go and do it because I th think it gets you anywhere and it can actually be quite stifling. And the last bit of advice and the last question is there'll be people listening to this podcast who perhaps aren't happy at work. The majority of people aren't happy at work for one reason or another. And they may be thinking about moving or doing something different. What would your advice be to them? And if they wanted to set up their own business, how, how would you suggest they go about it? I would say if, if you're if you're unhappy in your workplace, you, you need to try and change things up because life is too short. Um, so that is either having a, an honest conversation with your employer about how you, how you could see things working differently. And, and I say it specifically like that because I think it's, it's important to give solutions, not just problems. So, you know, are there some things that you could change but would actually uh, positively affect the business but also positively affect your uh, working life? And if there's not, and if you can't see a way through that, then, I you know, in the end, I think change is good. It's it keeps us alive. It energizes us. So don't be afraid to take a different step or move. If if it's starting your own thing, I think the key thing here is you you've got to be really passionate about what it is you're doing. You've got to think there's a problem here, and I'm solving it because you know I've listened to a lot of founder stories, and they are we're almost without question pretty hard at times. There are times when Every business I've heard of pretty much has, has felt this maybe isn't working or this is too hard. And unless you really are passionate about what you're doing, you just won't be resilient enough. You'll just say, OK, well, I'll try something else. then. Um, and if you're not resilient and if you don't stick it um, and if you aren't passionate about it, then then I think um, you're doomed probably to fail in every venture you do. Um, so it, it, it's a combination of making sure there's a real user need, whatever it is you're, do, you're making or doing or whatever service you're providing and making sure you really are um, absolutely passionate about changing that or solving that. Justine, thank you very much for um, talking to us, to, um, for sharing your insights and for creating the most amazing platform for women to get advice and, and help. And as you've said, um, not only have you helped women on an individual level, but you've also changed policy in the UK to help women throughout the UK and I'm sure further afield too. So many congratulations on all you've achieved and thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. To listen to more episodes and find out how to get happy in your working life, head to workall.co. Work happier.